Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T. For the betterment of you. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Hey everybody, welcome to the Atheist Experience. We're live. It's February 9th, 2014. I'm Matt Delahoney. This is Jen Peoples. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm all right. You know, all things considered, you've been traveling. And yeah. Yeah, I'm finally glad to be home. This is a live public access television program where we take calls from viewers, have discussions about, well, I don't know, God, religion, philosophy, yeah. you name it. Who knows what, what we'll end up discussing. Uh, and uh, after the show's over, as a reminder, uh, some of the people involved get together and go to dinner, and currently we're going to Threadgills again tonight, although the plan is that this will be the last week at Threadgills. Um, there won't be a show next week. There is something else going on at the studio, yeah. so you can ignore the schedule at atheist-experience.com or whatever, wherever we're posting the schedule. Uh, we'll have some more information up. We'll be back in two weeks, and we'll probably be going somewhere else for dinner. Yeah, yeah. the The show, uh, the studio closing next week is due to President's Day. Mm. So there's a sign on the front door. I didn't know that till I got here. But I don't know why they have to is. be closed on Sunday for President's Day. Uh, but I guess three day a, weekend. Yeah, I guess we were disrupting their three day weekend. So Enjoy your three day anyway. weekend. It's all right. We were only going to disabuse about mm. a million people of their beliefs on that particular Sunday, but yeah, I guess it'll have to wait a week. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Did you want to go with the, you, something to talk about at all, or you just want me to? Um, I have one thing to mention. Um, as most people oh, yeah. people know, um, February is Black History Month, and two weeks from today, um, the fourth Sunday in February is always the Day of Solidarity Day of Solidarity with Black Nonbelievers, and the ACA 
um, is participating in this event. So uh, two weeks from today, please come out and join us at any of our events, um, brunch, uh, you come to the studio audience, you can come to the, the post-show dinner, whatever. We will be celebrating the Day of Solidarity with Black Nonbelievers awesome. two weeks from today. So normally, uh, Jen would have some potential topic or we just go into calls. I have a couple things I actually want to address. Um, some of them are kind of shameless schedule self-promotion, but I get to do that. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of debates uh, lately or some things that were labeled debates, which weren't necessarily. Uh, next weekend, I'm doing three debates over the course of three nights at a church in San Antonio. Now, it's a fairly small church. I think they only fit around 300 or so, but they're having a four-day conference and there is some way to actually supposedly watch these debates live streamed. I don't have the details yet, but keep an eye on uh, my Facebook and maybe we'll get up a note at the webpage or something for those people who want to tune in. Um, there's somebody who's probably going to call in to talk about a debate that I did on Friday uh, with Ray Comfort on Christian Radio in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So if that call comes in, we'll talk a little bit more about it. If not, just know that uh, it wasn't a debate. And while I'm happy to maybe have conversations with Ray at some point in the future, there will be no more formal debates between me and Ray Comfort uh, because I actually prefer to have an opponent who wants to actually debate uh, instead of just showing up and saying, oh, I don't have any interest in you know convincing anybody that a God exists. I'm just here to preach and tell you you're going to hell and that I love you and would like to fix that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not a debate. I like that whole you're going to hell and I love you yeah. thing. Yeah, and you also love the guy that's sending me to hell. Right? Yeah. Which, you know, kind of cool. But uh, uh, also on Friday morning, I recorded two hours of a podcast. I think it's called Unbelievable uh, that airs on Christian Radio in the U.K. on Saturday afternoons. Uh, it was a two-part debate, uh, and I've forgotten my opponent's name. It's David Robertson, Robinson, something like that. He's a Scottish minister, and in the first part, he explained why he's not an atheist, and I, you know, questioned him, and we debated that topic a little bit. And then the second part... Uh, I explained why I'm not a Christian, and we debated that a little bit. And as always, we ran out of time. There's always more to talk about than there is time. Which brings me to a couple points about our show. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I need to clear up a little bit is the guest policy. Evidently, the guest policy was massively confusing for at least one person. Um, perhaps some more, so maybe we'll reword it. But for clarity, the guest policy, uh, where we announced that we're not interested in people who are have promoting theism as their primary purpose, that guest policy is about being an in-studio guest. We thought that this would be clear since the entire premise of the show is to have people who want to promote theism call in and have discussions. Yeah. <laughs> and so this in-studio guest policy was, was put in place because, you, you know, you can have your own shows. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't have anything to do with callers. So maybe we'll, re- we'll reword that just a little bit. Uh, but, you know, Cy Tenberg and Kate and I have had this kind of back and forth over the past week, which is kind of amusing. Now he's claiming that I lied and uh, or suggesting that I'm a liar uh, by selectively reading from an email. and then. But anyway, one of his concerns is that he didn't think he'd be treated fairly. And when I said this, he said, that's not what my objection was. I just figured you'd hang up on me. What the hell did you think I meant by not being treated fairly? You know, I, I know what your objection is. Uh, you think that I'd hang up on you. So let me talk a little bit about how and why I hang up on people. And by the way, I'm not the only person here. I'm matter of fact, I'm gone quite a lot. So there are other people you could call in and talk to. 
Um, I hang up on people when they're debating dishonestly, when they start repeating points, when they fail to acknowledge points and just simply move on to one other thing, when the conversation becomes completely non-productive, uh, and when I have no hope that this is going to go anywhere or be beneficial to anybody. That's why. And so if Cy thinks that he's likely to be hung up on, I, don't, I think he's saying that he's either going to argue dishonestly or have an unproductive conversation, et cetera. Because if you take a look at it, um, our show's kind of unusual. I don't think you can find another call-in show, maybe not anywhere in the world, on any media that allows the callers to speak as much as our show does. I mean, usually if you call into a radio show, you ask your question, they disconnect you, and then they talk about it after you hang up on the air. And barring interviews and guests and stuff, that's about it for call-in shows. On the contrary, we have callers all the time, who some of whom have taken up entire shows, and not just apologists like Matt Slick or Ray Comfort, uh, who, by the way, Ray seemed to think he was treated entirely fairly on the show. Um, and, and if his real, if Cy's real concern was that he'd be treated unfairly or that we would hang up on him uh, in a dishonest fashion rather than because he deserves it, um, then it seems to me the solution would have been to call in, get hung up on, and then present that actual evidence of us being uh, dishonest in hanging up on it instead of just presuming that that's the case. But when you're talking to a presuppositionalist, presuming that that's the case is their entire way of life. So I guess on that note, um, we'll go on and start taking some calls. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Dale in Longmont, Colorado, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Matt? Pretty good. Hey, uh, I'm a historian of a bachelor's degree. You're kind of breaking up where it's really difficult for us to hear. So I don't know if you're listening to the stream. If so, you'll want to... Uh, turn that off. By the way, it's true for anybody who calls. If you're calling and you're listening to the stream, you know, turn off the computer and your stream and whatever else. Uh, let's try again. Let's see if we can adjust that level. Uh, I have turned down. Bad connection. Can you hear me now? Uh, we can hear you're, you're, yeah. We can hear you, and then you're muffled, and then we hear you and you're muffled. It's really difficult. Is that better? Just go ahead and start talking. We'll see if we can suss this out. Is, is that better? Yeah, that's better. So far. Go ahead, talk. Okay. Hey, uh, I have a, a different biblical interpretation of the Bible. Uh, I've really outspoken with my views in my young life, and I'm having a problem with uh, people walking around saying that they are of the Church of Dale. You're having a problem with what? People saying that they're of the Church of Dale. I believe you've actually been contacted by someone uh, talking about this. I have no idea what you're talking about, Dale. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, did you guys have the notes that the uh, operator took down? Yeah, the notes that I have are, what do we think about free will? Your cousin is a physicist. Does this make yeah, sense? Yeah. And do you believe in an entropic or anti-entropic something? I don't know. Anti-entropic universe. Yeah, sure. Yeah, as far as I can tell, and as far as the information demonstrates, entropy is increasing. Other than that, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't see evolution as a vehicle for anti-infantry? No. No. Uh, how so? I think, Do you defend that position? I think living organisms generate so much entropy just by living that, uh, you know, second law is not violated. What about our ability to organize the universe through technology? How is that in any way relevant? 
Well, the other thing is, as we organize the universe, these, the, what, I, what I would presume you're talking about by organizing the universe, we are actually introducing uh, as much or more entropy than we are organizing. This is why perpetual motion machines are impossible. Yeah. Uh, I have a disagreement with you uh, on that, but, you know, I understand that, yes, the concept of energy running wild and producing continual energy is impossible. Sure. Okay, so what what is it that you understand about entropy? Tell us, tell us what you think you know about entropy. Uh, a system that continually moves towards a more chaotic and more diffuse uh, energy position. Sure. Okay, entropy actually doesn't have anything to do with order, disorder, chaos, or anything like that. That's actually well, a misinterpretation of it. Would it you explain it to me then? Okay. It has to do with the, with, um, first of all, it's about a closed system. Okay, the second law of thermodynamics is a theoretical construct that concerns a closed system. Okay. When we talk about entropy increasing, um, that's actually um, about energy. Okay, it actually doesn't say anything about chaos or disorder. Okay, it's about, really it's about the amount of energy that's lost to a system. There's, there's a colloquial understanding that is it tends towards disorder. Um, but anyway, I don't know what, what your point is on this. I mean, you, you called in to ask us what our views were on entropy in the universe. Um, Man, I'm just looking for a starting position. I don't really want to, you know. Well, so so what is your question? Be really rude. What, what, well, what I'm is it just, th- yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what what's the point because what my personal understanding or position is on uh, the universe and entropy. I, I don't know what how that's relevant to the. Show. I, I think it's important for uh, the the teaching of the youth uh, that we teach uh, an entropic universe and uh, in schooling, and this is a problem in my perspective because it's. Put a philosophy in the minds of the youth that you know uh, the product of the universe is almost meaningless or, or chaotic or destructive, and that nothing they do has any meaning. Yeah, no, I, 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 entropy I don't has nothing to do with that. It yeah. doesn't assign meaning to anything. Yeah, I mean, I think you've you've got something you object to, and you're objecting on grounds that I don't I don't see. I don't I don't understand. I don't even understand what your point is, uh, because yeah. you, you seem to object to something that we're teaching, which is um, established science, which, by the way, yeah. if it's wrong, uh, you need to demonstrate it's wrong and take it up with scientists, not a local public access show. Uh, but this inference that you think people are drawing from it, which is incorrect, um, I don't necessarily see that that's the truth. I don't that I, and when I say that, I don't mean I, I think I I don't think that people are necessarily drawing the inference that you think they're drawing, and I don't think that there's any grounds, rational grounds, on which to draw that inference. So I'm still left wondering what your point is. Well, from my understanding, by nature, the understanding that we have of science is incomplete. The science that we use at the moment is simply the best that we have seen so far. Sure. And I think it is important that we look at the possibility of sure that uh, evolution technology combined and working with each other could produce a system of greater energy than we can perceive in the universe at our current level of scientific detection. So to me, what I heard was we shouldn't shut down the possibility that we could create a perpetual motion machine. Uh, if you put several uh, single atom single molecule engines uh, which use their own atomic forces to uh, create a small electronic charge, you could create a centrifugal 
force device that could pump out uh, seemingly more energy than is it's creating from its individual uh, atomic structure atoms. Yeah, I, atoms. I'm really I'm Prove really it. intrigued by the word seemingly in there. Yeah. First Prove of all. it. But in other words, the the other thing which Jen just said is uh, prove it. I mean, this is not a, a program where we're going to spend a lot of time with every uh, hypothetical that somebody uh, finds fascinating. Um, it's just not part of the show. So I don't know what this has to do with anything we've ever discussed with real, with regard to the existence of a god or religion. We can drop the issue and move on to something else. Sorry? Well, we can drop the issue and move on to something else. Sure. Well, well, I could me... also just move on to another caller. I'm trying to yeah. get you to a point so that you know we don't just waste time here. What's that? I said that's your guys' choice if you wish to do so. Okay, bye. Uh, yeah, bye. So you can add that to the list of reasons that I'll hang up on people when they talk about nonsense for a while and suggest that it's okay if I do hang up. Yeah. Uh, I, have we ever gotten a caller that defended the idea of a perpetual motion machine? Oh, I'm pretty sure somebody has at some point. Uh, that's, We've had uh, callers that... I'm sure, th- I'm sure that... that like. Oh. <laughs> There is nothing that we haven't. Had you know, a it, the guy point. talks about. Well, we're teaching entropy in schools. Like, not very well, obviously. <laughs> but you know, it's. I, I I think there was a one of the points that he made, which was kind of frustrating, was this idea that people are inferring that life is then meaningless. Yeah. I don't know that you'd necessarily tie this to an understanding or even a misunderstanding of entropy. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. How do you get from from laws of thermodynamics to life is meaningless? It, it's it. Now you could have tied that to uh, what most many theists will do, which is claim that atheists, uh, because they don't believe in a God and don't believe in an afterlife, that therefore this life must end and then it's all meaningless. And, yeah. and then we could have an actual discussion about how that's just absurdly wrong. Um, in fact, the models of religion that include an afterlife pretty much make this life meaningless. Yeah. It's a place to wipe your feet. Everything that happens here is, uh, you know, well, it's like dirty rags compared to well, yeah, your after, I mean, eternal afterlife. If you if you hold that view, then you're not actually living your life. You're just waiting to die mm. because the real deal is, you know, what happens after. Yeah, so. and it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why there were prohibitions against suicide because people mm-hmm. who had been taught these religious things would say, yeah. wait a minute, <laughs> like, I could just get on to the afterlife right now if I just kill myself. Oh, yeah. no, 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 because <laughs> if you kill yourself, you're... You're playing God, and so God's going to punish you and send you to hell in that case. Yeah. Um, so they kind of had to post hoc invent this rationalization for why you, you couldn't kill yourself. And then that's where we get to people like Andrea Yates who kill their kids, yeah. basically sacrificing their eternal life uh, to ensure that their kids, more than one of them in this case, get the better afterlife rather than risking their damnation, which, uh, you know... I have theists on occasion tell me that, oh, no, that's not, no, no true Christian would ever do that. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I agree that I don't think most reasonable people would actually do that, but that's because I don't think they actually believe this. As a matter of doctrine, the natural extension of this doctrine, that seems to be a pretty sound action. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll, uh, yes, I think so. Cool. Uh, we've got, oh, it's coming up. So, VJ in Columbus, Ohio, thanks for waiting. Hey, Matt and Jen, how are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. Um, I really enjoy your show, and I think you guys are doing um, a really good job, so keep doing what you're doing. Um, I had a um, quick question, and this thing really frustrates me with people's position on on belief, and 
I was watching one of these shows called Big Questions on, on YouTube, and one of the panelists said that atheism, I mean, for the lack of a better word, atheism is the zero position. Like when a, when a child is born into the world, um, you consider him or her to be an atheist or um, not knowing that there's any God or anything like that. And theism comes after that. Um, but yeah, so but this it, is... it almost seems like the current understanding is you are an atheist because you oppose theism as an after the fact. So, so there's a it... distinction. There's a distinction between implicit atheism, which applies to babies and rocks and you know anything yeah. that hasn't actually uh, processed the claim. Uh, that position of I have not yet accepted the claim. And then there's explicit atheism, which is what we tend to talk about, which is pretty much all of us who have evaluated the claim a God exists and rejected it. And, and by rejected it, every time I say that, somebody's like, oh, so you're claiming there isn't a God. No, uh, I reject that the claim has met its burden of proof. I do right. not believe the claim. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't believe it if you actually presented evidence. Of course I would. You know, if, if a god uh, actually demonstrated that it existed, I'd absolutely believe that that god existed, and I'd no longer be an atheist. But that doesn't mean I'd actually worship that god, which is a separate issue. <clears throat> yeah, the, this whole idea about um, implicit atheism, you know, the idea that we're born atheists and everything, yeah. it's technically true, but it's almost a useless concept. Okay. And actually, uh, Hemet Mena from Friendly Atheist just posted a video the other day um, with nine things that he, that he thinks atheists should stop saying, and one of the one of them was this babies are atheist things now of the nine things that he said we should stop saying, I disagreed on many of them, and i 've made a post to Facebook outlining where I disagreed and why. Um, I agree that we should probably stop saying this thing that babies are atheists because well there's I, clearly I, a distinction I use there. the word, I use the word atheist for the lack of a better word i mean. Um, there is no way to describe what that position is without using what word we use for lack of belief as atheists. So that's the reason. I mean, I don't. Well, yeah, believe that's you. the definition of it. So okay. So I mean, your use of the word is correct. Yeah, we're, you know, if you say that in the strictest definition, a baby doesn't believe and therefore is an atheist, I'll agree with you. I just find that that particular point. Uh, it doesn't really have any value to it because it's not very distinct from saying a rock is an atheist because a rock doesn't believe. The only distinction there is that uh, you're presuming that a baby could believe. I'm not even convinced that that's possible uh, because I don't think that the the ability uh, to conceptualize uh, at that level exists in infants, and we, we have yeah. pretty good reason to think that it absolutely doesn't. And Jen's actually talked about um, yeah. Yeah, psychology the, yeah. as children grow and learn. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, children don't, uh, don't have the cognitive ability to evaluate religious claims uh, until they're actually quite a bit older. It's, it comes in with so, this theory of mind or the theory of other minds that right. they develop, I think, at four or five or something like that, that's when we um, start really seeing it. Yeah, and, and actually, the, the date, we don't even see the first, uh, you know, the, the first, like, glimmer of empathy doesn't even kick in until, like, ten months, mm. somewhere around there. It's when the frontal cortex starts to get myelinated until you get, until the frontal cortex comes online. They don't really have the ability to even make these these kinds of judgments. So, okay. Yeah, that, cool. yeah, the ability to evaluate those claims is a fairly um, mature thing. 
So I, it shows here, and I, and I apologize because we're, we're trying to move this along in, the, in a little quicker format, that you had a second question about whether there's a point to debating if people just believe out of fear. Yeah, um, but I, I guess that just picking up on what you said earlier um, today, and um, do you ever, like, deep down, do you ever think that there's a point to this debate in the sense, like, you know, you're, 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 you're talking to people who, who believe, and in my opinion, I think they believe solely because of the fear and not any rational justification. Well, but, and, 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 and just like you said, you know, you're, you, know you're at, you, you hit a brick wall and then um, you're not able to move past that. So in, in a sense, because when I, like I was brought up in, a, in like a Hindu family, but I mean, they were not, we're not very orthodox or whatever, but there are certain things about um, things that my parents um, tell me to. So did you stuff, did you believe I, out of did you believe things out of fear? No, I mean I I, I never really believed. I probably you know as young as okay. maybe Lesnar's even probably, even if believed. we even if we presume that you're correct that people believe primarily out of fear, and I'm sure that's one motivation. Yes, sometimes um, people do. People also change their mind and stop being fearful, and of course debates are useful. You're not going to convince everybody all the time, um, but people change their mind. And people tend to change their mind, we would hope, for good reasons. Uh, but at least getting the information out there and demonstrating, you know, if you've, if you've got a kid who believes there's uh, monsters under the bed, um, that's a belief that is spawned by fear. Are you saying yeah. we shouldn't actually bother engaging with that child and talking about evidence and reason and using those tools to convince them that there's not a monster under the bed, that they have nothing to fear? I mean, that's the path out. And it's the only path out that puts them now on firm footing. Because if you replace one fear with another or replace one addiction with another, all you've done is basically shifted their belief to a new belief that's also on a bad foundation. So instead, you expose the, the problematic foundation and give them the ability to create new beliefs based on firm foundations. And that's, that's the point of having the discussions and debates. Yeah. And, and I would argue and that, yeah, and I would argue that when someone is very fearful, so they, they've accepted a claim because they're afraid of what happens if they don't believe it, um, I think that's the time when you really should actively engage them. You know, maybe not in debate, but in talking about what it is they actually believe and why they're fearful of it. And the reason I say this is because making decisions about almost anything when you're in a state of fear, is a really terrible position to be in. You are not likely to make good decisions when you're in a state of fear. So, you know, I think that talking people out of that, um, you know, by presenting evidence to them, by showing them that, you know, that you're not afraid, um, I think that's very worthwhile. Okay. Well, I, I, I just sometimes feel like, um, you know, some people are so fearful and then you really cannot change their mind and then we need to move forward and is it our only way is to kind of steamroll our way into the future uh, well, or well the thing is that's the only thing but it's not everybody i'm not saying it's always yeah. like but it's just some of the situations i've encountered i just say i don't want to talk about it yeah you know? well and the thing is that, and that's a, that's perfectly valid if you sense that the conversation is going nowhere and that you know, they really are not in a position where they can even evaluate any evidence you present to them, then maybe you do want to cut your losses and move on. I mean, you're not obligated to engage with everyone um, that, that's a believer, and I would actually recommend against that.
And this is actually one, another one of the points that Hammett had in the video of things atheists should stop saying, and that is that you can't reason people out of things that they didn't reason themselves yeah. to, in to begin with. Uh, <laughs> and I agree with him wholeheartedly. I think, first of all, I think that if we're going to talk about reason in any meaningful sense, they did, in fact, reason themselves into those beliefs. You've reasoned yourself into everything you believe. You just had really bad reasons. Um, and, you know, okay. we, tend, we tend to look at... Uh, emotional arguments as if they're just fallacious. Well, no, we're emotional beings, and, um, you know, we have to temper our emotions, um, and we can use reason to do that. We can show that there's no good reason for you to be fearful. Uh, so, yeah, and actually, um, after we're, we finish this, there's another call waiting where we're probably going to get to talk about wh- whether or not debates, in fact, are a waste of time. So I appreciate, okay. I appreciate the call, VJ. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks, Great. too. Thanks. Hey, Scott. Thanks for waiting. Hey, man. How are you? I'm all right. I would, imagine, I would imagine Hi, I was uh, correct that we can probably talk about whether or not debates are a waste of time, can't we? Sure. I'm, I'm so happy <laughs> to be a guest on your show today. Well, thanks for calling. And by the way, for those who don't know, um, Scott is uh, a fan of the show who also listens to a Christian radio program or station in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And uh, has become friendly with uh, Paul Ridgeway, who's the host of that. And he prompted Paul to have me on as a guest, um, and I did. And then there was a prompting for me to actually have a debate with Ray Comfort uh, on Friday, this past Friday, uh, from like 5 to 6 p.m. The podcast of that supposedly will be up in a few days. So if you didn't hear it live, there'd be a chance to another time. Um, so thanks for doing that, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I've never had more beers during that debate in my life. You never had more what? No more beers in my life. Oh, <laughs> it turned it turned it into a drinking game. Oh my gosh! It was it was like listening to a telemarketer. Yes, it was trying to stick to a script, and I know that you guys you know email back and forth, but you know I just so, I don't want to lose. So let me let me address the point that I that I said we get to just so we don't go past it. Uh, for those who don't know or haven't heard yet, um, this was not a debate. I said so during it. I was live tweeting. It was a frustrated, frustrating mess because ostensibly we were there to have a debate on whether or not God exists, and I was there to present the reasons why I don't accept that claim. And Ray was brought in to defend the idea that a God exists. And right from the beginning, he just flatly said that he had no interest in proving to anybody that a God exists and that his primary concern was to let me know that I had injured my creator and that I was destined to hell. And so most of his time talking um, was spent preaching instead of actually addressing the debate topic. And when it came time for the questions back and forth, um, Ray kind of tended to avoid addressing the actual question and instead engaged in more sermonizing. And I know that he's posted on his blog or somewhere um, that I'm angry at him because he preached the gospel, which is a really incredibly dishonest way uh, to frame why I was angry. Preach the gospel all you want, Ray. I don't object to you preaching. And you could actually preach during the course of a debate. Uh, many good debaters actually do that. But don't agree to do a debate on a topic and then walk in and say, oh, I don't have any interest in demonstrating this. I only came here to let you know that you're going to hell and that I love you and I'd like to, to save you from that. Because... Um, there were many people who immediately looked at this as a waste of time, um, and there are also many people who have claimed that Ray is dishonest and that he's only in this for the money. And I want to hit both of those points real quick, and then I'll, I'll let you go, Scott, because these have been sure. pissing me off for the last couple of days. Number one, 
One of the things that Ray repeatedly did was to say that he doesn't have to prove that God exists. He already knows that we all know this and we're just denying it. So he's basically telling us that he knows what's in our minds and in our hearts and that we are being dishonest. And when atheists run around saying that Ray doesn't believe this, what he's espousing, um, you're assuming his motivations. I don't know what your justification is for doing that. Um, if Ray tells me he believes this, I got no reason to doubt him because lots of people do. Well, nobody could hear this over and over again and just be that stupid. Yes, actually, they can. Um, well, you know, he's just in it for the money. Really? Prove it. I don't, I don't see him making a ton of money. I don't see him, uh, and even if he was, I don't know that that's his motivation. You don't have to assume the motivations. You can just say that when it comes to debates, he's terrible, dishonest, and insulting, and is only interested in preaching. And that's enough. But whether this is a waste of time, absolutely not. Because on drive time radios, radio from 5 to 6 p.m., on a Christian radio station in Minneapolis, St. Paul, I was allowed to come on and talk about why I don't accept these claims that a God exists. And the person that they brought on to debate me was an embarrassment. And every listener to that radio station had to sit through that and say, wow, I can't believe that this is the best they could. They managed to find the only apologist I know of who's a worse debater than Ken Ham. <laughs> And this is, I mean, this has just got to stick in people's craw and be embarrassing. I would have expected apology letters for having wasted my time, except that I didn't allow them to waste my time. I got my points across um, and moved on from there. But what, what did you want to say about it, Scott? Well, you know, it's funny. I did talk to Paul after, and he, uh, Paul's a very fundamentalist Christian, and he did admit that he claimed that Ray was not on his game, quote-unquote. Ray was exactly on his game. Yeah, he that, was on that his is, script. That is Ray's game. Yeah. Right. And uh, he, did, uh, he did admit that, and obviously in confidence. But I wanted to share something real quick, and I'll let you go. I know you got other callers. Sure, go ahead. I was at the University of Minnesota, and um, I was you know, having lunch, and they had these tables set up, and as I was walking back to my office, um, I saw there was a table that said heaven and hell, and I just kind of took a double take. And that said what? Answer. Uh, it had a table that said heaven or hell. Oh, okay. Oh. So I, you know, I did a double take, and he said, do you want to answer some questions? I said, sure. He said, do you think you're going to heaven or hell? I said, I don't know. He says, why? Because I'm an atheist. And he says, oh, you're one of those people. Have you ever read the Bible? I said, sure. He says, why are you, you know, are you an atheist? I said, you can go do the whole great comfort thing. And um, he said, can you give me an example? If you've claimed that you read the Bible, I said, Exodus 21, thanks to you, Matt. Yeah. And he said, I don't know that verse. Can you tell me? Tell me. I said, you know, <laughs> endorsing slavery, stoning my child. And basically, long story short, he looked at me and says, you've given me a lot to think about. That's great. Oh, cool. And it's, it's a much better response than the glib response that I've done on occasion that I've heard of people do is, when asked, you know, have you ever read the Bible, um, I've said, and some other people have said, yes, have you ever read anything else? I mean, because <laughs> there are some apologists who do look at the Bible as their manual for every possible answer. And it's, it's, it's the word of God, and I don't need anything else. Um, and, one, you know, I asked Ray a bunch of questions. One of the questions that I would like to have asked Ray, uh, but I, I had a plan. Um, I asked him basically, you know, how do you tell the, which parts of the Bible are true or not? Um, and of course he said it was all true, even though on this show he said there's lots of parts of the Bible that he doesn't agree with. And so I'm wondering why he doesn't agree with them if he thinks they're true. 
But, uh, you know, when asked how do you tell the difference between somebody who's having a delusional vision of an angel and someone who's having a real vision of an angel. And he spent a bunch of time talking about the Bible and then basically said, oh, the Holy Spirit would let me know. And it was all, I, I, I put those questions together along with a few others to demonstrate um, his foundational epistemology. And by epistemology, I'm talking about the process that we use to discover whether a belief is reasonable. And he begins and ends, as Ken Ham does, with God. And it is, this is just true. And so I have to necessarily be lying when I say I don't believe because he knows by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that I'm lying. Well, that is not an epistemology that you can use to serve as a foundation of anything. If you can't draw a distinction between these two things in a way that anybody else could use the same method to do, um, and he would say you could use the same method, but for some reason I can't. I don't have this inner witness of the Holy Spirit that he apparently has, no matter how hard I try. Well, and, you know, there's, I talked about this on the show, um, I think several years ago, but um, Proceedings in the National Academy of Sciences published a paper, I think it was published in maybe 09 or maybe 2010, Mm -hmm. um, that talks about putting people in an fMRI machine and seeing what parts of the brain light up when you... Um, talk to them about um, what they think, and then you ask them what somebody known to them thinks. So they have to project, you know, what this other person would think about a particular issue. And then they they talked about, you know, what does your God think about a particular issue? And they, they try to use some controversial issues. And guess what part of the brain lights up when you talk about what God thinks? It's the part that corresponds to self. So this inner witness of the Holy Spirit is just what they think anyway. Yeah. And they interpret that as, you know, this is God speaking to me. It's, it's a good kind of scientific uh, investigation into why God tends to agree with people. Yeah, why God always hates all the same people you do. Yeah. And, and why my version <laughs> of Christianity is the correct and true one. Yes. But, yeah, so, you know, I, I said during and after the debate that I won't be uh, debating Ray Comfort again in any sort of formal public setting. If you know, if he calls in or we run into each other, it's not like I wouldn't talk to the guy. Um, but I pr- would prefer, if I'm actually going to do debates, to have an opponent who actually cares to debate the subject. Because, um, you know, otherwise I might as well just go out and stand on the pier when he's street preaching and we can get into a, a pointless yelling match uh, over how big of a... I mean, one of his first questions for me was, um, have I ever used the Lord's name in vain or as a curse as a curse word? And, you know, I asked him, well, I need to know what the Lord's name was. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'll admit to it. And I've admitted to it every time I'm asked. And my point is, okay, please demonstrate that this is, you know, anything for me to be concerned about because that's his goal. Ray's goal is to convince me that I have injured my creator. That's what he, what he said. And yet he has no interest in demonstrating that a creator actually exists. I mean, and he said that as well. He doesn't have it. That is his goal to prove it. And as, as I mentioned in the closing, um, if you claim that there's an injured party, you have to actually demonstrate the injured party. Ray does not want to produce the corpse because he can't. And he acknowledges, acknowledges that as well. And so this this is why, um, at some level, engaging with Ray in a formal debate is pointless because he doesn't want to debate. But it's also why I don't consider what I did on Friday to be a waste of time because now 
all the Christians listening and everybody who listens to the podcast in the future will realize that Ray is not interested in debate. Right. So he can stop asking Dawkins to debate him, uh, which is his little publicity stunt, pandering around, oh, Richard Dawkins, I'd love you to debate me. No, you don't, Ray, because you don't have any interest in debating. What you'd really like is to pull yourself up by Dawkins' bootstraps, grab a hold of his audience so that you can preach more. I mean, this is, this is a level of, I mean, and I can't even call it really dishonesty because you're upfront about your dishonesty, like a magician would be. I'm going to fool you into debating me so that I can do something else. Well, not fooling me anymore. Well, I, yeah, I'll let you guys get to some calls, but thank you so much for taking my uh, my call today. I really appreciate it. I'll keep watching. Sure. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Right, thanks, man. Bye. Jesus H. Christ, that must have been a frustrating yeah. experience. And there God I've used the Lord's name in vain. Well, yeah, when I, I, I asked him. Jesus again. Yeah, he didn't go to Jesus. When I asked him uh, what was God's name yeah. for me to use, <laughs> he, he uses an example, you know, like O-G-O-D is what came out oh. of his mouth, something like that, where he had wow. to spell out G-O-D. Uh, and I was like, wow, you know. Oh, and he's big on this kick of capitalize God. Well, and don't say a God. Well, Ray, <laughs> there are occasions where a God with a lowercase g is absolutely correct. You're, you're so stuck in your little mindset yeah. that, oh, well, there's just the one God and we're going to capitalize it. Yes, but there's a whole plethora of ancient Greek gods there's Thor. And, yeah, and, I would capitalize Thor because that's and, a proper noun. Yeah, but, and if Thor is not real, then why why do we have Thursdays? I know. <laughs> Plus, I've seen the movies, or some of them. Anyway, yeah, he doesn't understand English or debate or science. Oh, the science thing. This was funny. Sorry for the people <laughs> who might have wanted to listen to this. I'm going to save you a little bit of extra time. Uh, he talked about his video, Evolution versus God, or something, and how he had... Uh, he said that he had interviewed our friend, P.Z. Myers. Well, let me tell you, Ray, uh, P.Z.'s my friend, not our friend. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I can pretty much be pretty sure I'm speaking on his behalf uh, to let you know that he's not your friend. But um, he said that these scientists could only come up with examples of speciation and adaptation, which we all accept. This is Ray saying this. Uh, but they couldn't come up with anything to confirm evolution. And as I pointed out in the closing, that is evolution, you dolt. And that's what every one of them has been trying to tell you for years. If you accept speciation and adaptation, congratulations, Ray. You accept evolution. Now we're done. And you can stop producing your little videos and trying to get 10 minutes of fame with whatever atheist you want to be taunting that day. I suppose he's never heard of chromosome 2. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he has. Yeah. But, you know, that doesn't mean we were apes. No, it means we still are. Yeah. <laughs> so, oops, I think I lost that one. Sylvester in Beaumont, how are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for waiting. Oh, no problem. Well, so, did you have a question for us? Yes. I was going to ask you if you agree with the justice system in the United States. If you think, in comparison to other places in the world, do you think it's good, average, above average? Um, what, what does this have to do with atheism? Also, we're, well, we're hearing an echo. Get, so I was going to go to my point because uh, my I'm dealing with justice, kind okay. of. Okay. So, so well, hang on, hey, we're hearing an yeah, echo. Yeah, Can you turn down whatever stream you're listening to? Oh, okay. When, when you ask us what we think about the justice system in the United States, that's such a broad topic. 
And I'm still hearing the echo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you this. I called two weeks ago, and I believe, I don't remember who it was on the phone. Um, I asked if all men were created equal, and the person I was speaking with said yes. Um, I, I was like on the last five minutes on the show, I just asked the question. Sure. So it depends sure. on, ex- I'm still hearing an echo. Here, I'll put you on hold. Uh, it depends on what you're actually meaning by were all men created equal? Because first of all, I don't think we were created. Uh, we're yeah. not all men. Um, yeah. But as a foundational principle of our justice system, that the foundational principle is that all human beings should be considered equal in the eyes of the law, that we should strive to make sure that we are not preferencing some individuals over other uh, over others on on uh, with, without some sort of foundation. Now, if you're talking about it in a broader context, you know, uh, am I equal to Michael Jordan? Well, definitely not at basketball. I mean, that's just absurd. But the goal is for us supposed to be treated equally under the law, that the justice should be blind to, you know, our ethnicity and our sexual preferences and orientation or whatever, anything like that, our religious beliefs. Um, so, yeah, that, that as a foundation is something that I think is a good idea. So my question was, <clears throat> what is the foundation built upon? Why do we treat our fellow human beings as equals? <clears throat> ah, it's Okay, here's the simplest way to look at this. And it's called the veil of blindness. And it's about making sure that people are treated fairly. And so if you've got a cake, for example, and you want to divide it up equally among people, um, what you do is you have somebody cut the cake, letting them know that everybody's going to get a piece but the person who cuts the cake gets last pick of the pieces. And that tends to make sure that because they don't know which piece they're going to get, that they strive, hopefully, to cut them fairly evenly. The other, another aspect of this is to design a system, whether it's a game, whether it's a justice system, where you don't know what your status is going to be entering the system. And if you operate with that veil of ignorance you're more likely to get a system that is fair. And so the, the most pragmatic solution is to begin by saying, hey, I don't know where I'm going to be in this system. I don't know if I'm going to be poor or rich. I don't know if I'm going to be black, white. I don't know if I'm you know, Hispanic, whatever. I don't know what my religious heritage is going to be or whether I'm going to come in with, you know, it doesn't matter. So let me design a system that makes sure that no matter how I enter it, I have a fair shot. But but what you just said, I agree with what you said. But we're assuming now that you already have foreknowledge of what you are that you're entering into reality. We we create laws. Okay, after we okay. Enter reality. Hang on. This is this is not something that actually happens. Okay. Uh, nobody sat down and said, "Hmm, I'm going to create the justice system in the United States without knowing where I'm in it." It's a thought. <laughs> uh, sorry. It is a thought problem, an exercise in trying to determine what the most fair thing is going to be. We, who are already in the system or in the process of creating the system, are looking at this saying, let's do it this way because this is demonstrably the most fair way. Right. It's an idea to strive for. Okay. I was wondering, okay, say you know where you are in the system and you're so absolutely sure of yourself that you... You know that there's no way in the world that you can ever go back to being 
someone who could be taken advantage of in the system. Okay. Why should you create laws that should benefit everyone else? <clears throat> well, I don't know that. I don't know, I don't know how you uh, determined that there's no way for you to have any other status. So I was saying, say for example, you're Bill Gates. <clears throat> what? If, say for example, you're Bill Gates. Okay. Bill Gates could be bankrupted tomorrow under the right circumstances. If the if the if the financial system collapses, he's just as broke as me. But I'm I'm not I'm not arguing just on his financial status. I'm arguing like based on how much he has done, how many people he's helped. There's at least one person who would take him in. But there's at least one person who would help him out. <clears throat> maybe, maybe not. But what the hell does that have to do with the system? But it's based on the people he's helped out. He's acquired enough to at least survive for the rest of his life. Well, if the financial system collapses. Nobody's going to be able to afford to take him in anyway. So you're saying that the financial system collapses, it collapses for everyone? Yes, the yeah, financial the system financial doesn't just collapse for Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But the point, if you're asking, here's a better example that you might have wanted to use. I don't see any probability that I'm ever going to be African-American. So why would I care about African-Americans and making sure that they're treated fairly? That would have been a better example for you to use. However, yeah, the, the answer is, I don't know that, for example, if I'm just being self-centered and care about me and my offspring, what if I fall in love with somebody who's African-American and I have kids that are in a unfair system. I, the, the echo is just driving me crazy. It's about recognizing that your situation isn't perfect, that it can change, that you can't predict the future, um, and about recognizing that fairness is something that benefits us all. Because if you're fair, if you, if you privilege yourself in this one category, there may be other categories that you are not in the privileged class on. And so if instead you continue to push for a society that eliminates privilege uniformly, then you're, instead of being in a world where you're privileged in this arena and extremely underprivileged in this arena, you now have worked towards a, a society where you have no benefits or drawbacks of privilege in all arenas. That's the thing. Um, you, you, you tend to kind of narrow down, you narrowed down to Bill Gates and financing and what he's done good. And I, I came up with the analogy, um, you know, with, with being uh, African-American. Um, the point is, this is a life is a large, complex system. And the fact that you're privileged in one area doesn't mean you're going to be privileged in every area. Yeah, but the thing is, the thing I was trying to argue is, had it been life had more to it, like after you died, we could, there was something else to it then I would probably say, okay, it makes sense to make everything better for someone else. But since we already know that once we die, we just, we're dead. Okay. No, 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 no. There's no reason no. for it. So, so are you saying so. that, that, that people have to have some kind of belief in an afterlife or some kind of punishment if they do wrong or they won't be good in this life? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there's no motivation. There should be no motivation to do good if we already know that once we die, well, we're not affected anymore by life. We're, no. a, we're a social species. Of course we're going to do well, for, do, do, as, as, do as much good as we can for each other. So, so, so here's the so thing. thing. What you do, 
And, and this is, you're basically getting what's the point behind altruism or doing anything good or anything like that. And that's because you don't know what the future's going to bring, first of all. So if I see somebody on the side of the road with a flat tire, and we are all of this mindset that there's no reason to help anybody else as long as we're the privileged one without the flat tire, then we all just drive by. And we contribute to this idea that nobody in society should bother doing this. However, if we all recognize that, you know what, tomorrow I might be the one with the flat tire, and I'd rather live in a society where people understand that this could be them and exercise a little bit of empathy and compassion, pulling over, stop, help them change the tire, then I now live in a society where I am more likely to get help when I need it. Okay. Okay? Well, thank you so very much for your time. Sure, thanks. Thanks, bye. That was easy. I wish I'd have gone there first. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, the one problem with all of this, which I think I kind of touched on but didn't quite get to, is that we're very myopic. When we are, when everything's going our way, we don't tend to waste much time on the thoughts about people who aren't having everything go their way. But training yourself to see that, to think globally and act locally, to think in a variety of different contexts and act when you have that opportunity is the way to break that myopic vision. It's the way to realize that, oh, what I do has an effect on me, it has an effect on others, and what other people do has an effect on me. I don't live in a bubble. I live cooperatively with everybody. And while I may be, you know, king for today, I might be peasant tomorrow. While I might have... Uh, just, you know, privilege and everything's going well and I'm healthy and I don't have any need for money, that doesn't mean that that's not going to happen in the future. And even if it doesn't ever happen, if you if your life just keeps better and better and better and better, contributing to a society that encourages empathy and compassion and charity and good works, still you benefit from. The reason, you know, slavery was supposedly great for the slave owners. And I've said before, if you want to find out what was wrong with it, you talk to the slaves, because it wasn't necessarily great for them. But the truth is, slavery wasn't great for the slave owners either, because it contributed to a society that was in decline. That person that you have as a slave, or that person who you've decided to not care about, could be the one that grows up to cure the disease you're eventually going to get. Could be the one who creates the next technology or improvement to the world that makes your life better that you won't be able to benefit from because you were only concerned with yourself. I'm fine. Don't be wrong. I'm fine with selfishness. I'm fine with, uh, I'm, I come first. I do. Mm-hmm. Me, my wife, my friends, my family, whatever, I tend to come first. I can break that rule. That's where we get to you know, altruism and generosity. I don't have to sure. put myself first. When push comes to shove... I probably do put myself first. I think most people probably do. But the difference is, when I'm making a decision about whether or not I'm going to put myself first, I don't just look at this one little situation, what's best for me. Because what may be absolutely best for me in this one situation could have disastrous consequences that it wind up horribly negative for me in the future. And it's seeing beyond that, seeing beyond that narrow little view of reality that we tend to live in. Um, that's how we get to an understanding of fairness. It's how we get to doing good. Well, and, and at some point you have to realize that fairness and goodwill toward other people, these are not zero-sum propositions. Mm. 
it's not like if I'm fair to someone that I've in some way lost something. You know, sure, I could could privilege myself in society and and reap greater benefits, but, you know, to what end? Like Matt said, if I'm, um, you know, starving the person who will eventually cure the disease I might get, I really haven't helped myself. Yeah, it's, it's, we're all better off when we work to make all of us better off. Yeah. That's about as easy as we can get. How much time we got? Like three minutes or so? uh, Quick reminder, no show next week. Yes. So don't forget, no show next week. And thread gills today, but uh, in two weeks we'll probably go in somewhere else and we'll put it on the website and talk about it on the show in a couple weeks. Yes. Dave from Scranton, thanks for waiting. Hey, I'm so glad to hear talk to you, brother. Okay, you're kind of breaking up. Oh, hello? Hello. <laughs> okay, Dave from Scranton, call back in two weeks, I guess. Sorry, you got dropped. Okay. Uh, how about we go to Dave in Central Oregon? Hello. Hello. Are you calling from Mars? Hello, this is David. David in Central Oregon. Hi, David. Okay. What do you got for us? Hey, I wanted to talk about spirit and soul and the mind or thoughts being uh, synonymous. Okay, so my last week you were talking about. The spirit, and, and what what do you think the spirit is? I don't have any idea. I'm not convinced that it's anything. Right, you don't have any idea. What, what I think, what people are talking about in the when they talk about spirit is the is is their thoughts. Well, and and that, that is synonymous with the soul. Well, perhaps uh, in some cases that might be what they're talking about. I don't see any reason to call it anything other than what it is, though. Yeah, the the, the Greek word for spirit is is uh, meaning breath sure. of life, and which the, is a thought. The Latin uh, uh, meaning of spirit is, I mean, of soul is breath, the okay. breath of life. Okay, How, how's that synonymous with thought then? Because the mind, with its thought, being <laughs> vain and arrogant, believes that it is what creates everything. I don't think that's the understanding most people have when they talk about spirits and souls. No, no, they they think about it as something like ghosts, something that you can't see but is there. Okay. Well, well, some of them do, and and the thing is, I can't know what someone thinks these words mean unless I ask them, which right. is why on this show we ask them, "What do you mean when you say spirit? What do you mean when you say soul?" Okay. That's the only way to find out what they actually mean. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to go around asserting that. Look, we have a word for mind. We have a word for thought. I don't see any justification for tagging on spirit or soul, and I'm not about to assume that that's what somebody means because there's. As far as I can tell, the terms spirit and spirituality have so many different meanings that they've pretty much become meaningless. Um, right. But you had another question I want to get to before we're done. Which we oh, have, about the crop uh, we have like 30 seconds. Yeah, what about crop circles? Uh, as far well, as I we can, I've got to stop because they put the credits up. Uh, with regard to crop circles, as far as we know, they're all man-made. Yeah. Uh, the hoaxers have come out and said so. We've got no reason to think that there's anything supernatural or alien going on. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you in two weeks.
uh, or at least somebody will. I might not yeah. be here. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Stripe. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Alpha Sale is here with 30% off Alpha and installation. The Container Store, where space comes from.